Welcome in here. Uh, happy to have you with us on this Wednesday morning. Um, man, there's a lot of news to get to. There was a big resignation uh, out of Overland Park that we'll get to here in a couple of minutes, but the news broke. In fact, I was checking for updates, maybe at 6 a.m. to see if there was anything new on the manhunt. And at that point, there was not. And then about an hour and a half later, they announced the news conference. And as you heard on ABC News and uh, through the morning here, they got him. Everything just exploded. Yeah, you're right. Over the course of just a couple of hours, this story went from a very frustrating, when are they going to catch him, a very frightened population in and around southeast Tennessee, and just no apparent leads in the fact that he had been close to being caught several times, including what we talked about yesterday, that uh, incident where he walked into an open garage, stole a rifle, and then was shot at several times. They believe it was him who was shot at several times by the homeowner. Um, no word yet on whether he was hit in that altercation, but he was walking like he was fine when, when they caught him this morning. And now all of a sudden, yeah, we caught him. So we can go through the timeline and the how they got him part a little bit. Um, and that's interesting because USA Today had an interesting story about why we were so captivated by this story. Mm -hmm. Not just if you lived there, if you lived there, that was obvious, but they were comparing it to the Titan, the submersible, and why we were so fascinated with that story also. So we'll get to that here in a second. But um, ultimately the way this started last night was, you know, they had had this perimeter set up based on events of the last couple of days. So they kind of knew or assumed he was still in this perimeter and they were right. Uh, there was a burglar alarm within that perimeter and they looked into that and then said, you know, we're going to put more resources on this and investigate this because we were kind of nearby anyway. So at about midnight central time, 1 a.m. their time, aircraft picked up a heat signal and they started to track that. Lightning came in. There was a weather system that came in. They had to put that on hold. So then and literally just to give you an idea of how quickly this happened, shortly after 7 a.m. central time, so their 8 a.m. their time, they went back to where that heat, heat source was and they credit it to the fact that they were able to move in very quietly and surprise him and he didn't know so he wasn't able to run away that says a couple of things and we had we it's funny how much of this comes back because as we were talking about this over the last couple of days we had talked yesterday about the fact that FLIR forward-looking infrared cannot see through tree cover so if they were going to catch him that way, it would have to be when he was out in the open or relatively out in the open compared to where they, they suspected that he was hiding out. So that burglar alarm, we had also talked about, well, he's going to have to break into houses if he's going to get clothing and food and all of the things that you would need to stay out and stay on the run. So not only does he try to break into a place, probably for exactly that reason, but because he was out in the open, forward-looking infrared was able to catch him. My curiosity now is... When they say we were able to move in quickly and quietly, boy, doesn't that seem to imply that that forward-looking infrared was attached to a drone? Yes, it does, um, because that way you wouldn't hear it yep. as much, and it would, it would be able to go lower, so that makes sense, too. So what they said was it was a dog that, that ultimately got him. They identified the area of the heat source. They move in quickly and quietly. They release a dog. The dog tracks him down. And they said he was forcibly taken into custody. <laughs> Imagine he that. had the rifle on him um, and that was it. But he said he he sustained a minor bite wound, which will tell you what that forcibly part means with the dog. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and he was taken for further processing. And now we're learning more about what they're going to do with him and the sister now that's in trouble for helping him out. And of course, there was that bit of information that they had for us right at the top of the hour that we were all just sitting here face palming and laughing about. The fact that when he was captured, he was wearing a Philadelphia Eagles sweatshirt. Uh, didn't it just have to be that? And uh, apparently he had stolen that from somebody's yard, maybe, uh, or from somebody's house because they said whoever that sweatshirt was stolen from is going to have it replaced. Well, thank goodness. <laughs> thank, thank goodness for them to think of that. Yeah. And, you know, good job, ABC News, for getting the critical details um, into that story. Um, I just laughed and thought, well, you know, of everything to worry about with this story, thank good he's getting the... Uh, the sweatshirt back so yeah. well you've, her, you've got to sorry you've you've, you've got to figure that the he would want the actual sweatshirt back wouldn't you i mean not only for a keepsake of mm -hmm. you won't believe where that sweatshirt was it was on that fugitive guy but you know that that thing's going to draw more than a few bucks on ebay so the sister uh is in the process of being deported she had been detained um they didn't say why but they think that they she helped him after his escape. He was getting help from somewhere. Yeah. I mean, with the razor and the change of clothes and um, the fact that he was able to get around, he was getting help from somewhere. They said they think he typically moved at night and stayed put during the day, which is sort of the opposite of what we thought. We figured he was moving during the day and then at night would stay somewhere. But they said, no, that was what, uh, that was what they did. And so now uh, focus goes back to how he was able to escape security at that prison and can you please make sure we're going to keep him somewhere more secure this time no kidding yeah i don't know what kind of facilities exist in southeast tennessee but uh, i mean at, at that point um yeah would there be a case for moving him to sort of some sort of federal facility because he was an escaped fugitive so you could but yeah I, I know he's not going to go back to where they had him i was just looking to see what the charge was um felony escape charge but that's a state charge that's right that's not charge, federal yeah. okay um, yeah, he will be transported to a state correctional institution where he will be housed for the foreseeable future. I'd put a couple extra guards on that. Want to make sure. Yeah. If I were you, um, desperate success with this once. And so, you know, he would think that he would get out again. So, um, back to why this story was so interesting to us. And if you want to weigh in here, 913-586-7798. It is understandable if you lived in Pennsylvania, why this story was, so, I mean, because this was literally in your backyard and a threat to your safety. But why were the rest of us so enthralled in this story? Other than it's something out of a movie, right? We don't hear the words manhunt and prison escape, although lately we hear it a little more than we used to. It's not as uncommon as it used to be. But those are words that we typically see in here in movies and TV shows, not in the news. Yeah, and I think that's exactly it. But I think they're going after a different kind of movie than I'm thinking of. Because, I, I mean, certainly mu movies, movies like The Fugitive, uh, even though that was a little bit different, but it, movies about somebody escaping and, and being a danger and being on the run, it's all very dramatic, certainly. But where my mind went, was if you're looking for an analog on the big screen, it's much more like Friday the 13th, Halloween. I mean, he is that that nameless, faceless, even though we had pictures of him, we kind of knew what he looked like. But he's that, that plotting threat that's out there that you can't really define, but you know he's dangerous. You know what he's done, and in even the things that he did. I mean, compare what he was accused of doing that landed him in jail to what Mike Myers did at the beginning of Halloween. It's almost identical. So, except it was a girlfriend and not a sister. 
Same same thing, though, in that he has that same, or had anyway, before he was caught, that same quality about the monster that you can't do anything about, and you never know where he's going to strike next. And and what he's going to do when he does it. Yes. What, what, who he will threaten um, and what the ultimate, what, what the end game is, what the end goal of that will be. Is it to escape the country? Is it Pennsylvania is pretty far from, you know, from going south. So yeah, what, what would the end game be? Um, and it's funny that they made analogies, like I said, to the Titan submersible and our fascination with that, which I feel like was different. Um, we have, we still have a fascination with the Titanic. I think that's what a lot of it was about. And it, it was just this, um, oh my gosh, it went down there and we don't know what happened in those two minutes. I feel like this was different. Yeah, it, it, different, but I can see them making the analogy just you know, from one news story to another mm-hmm. saying, okay, th- this grabbed the public's attention and there was no real reason why. Um, yeah, the Titan submersible had a number of aspects to it. Fascination with the Titanic, claustrophobia. I mean, the yeah. idea that, that they were in that small enclosed space, that, that it was... Um, I mean, if you're looking for an analogy to the Titan submersible, it's the, what we had talked about at the time, which was the Chilean miners and the Shanksville miners. Yeah. Caught, caught underground, caught underwater, doesn't make any difference. You can't get out. There's nowhere to go. Uh, yeah, admittedly, um, yeah, the Chilean miner story in particular, the kids that were caught in the cave in Thailand yes. is another example of that. And there have been amazing documentaries done about and podcasts done uh, recalling that whole story. Yeah, I, I go squirrel on that a little bit because the first news story that I remember as a kid, and I may have told the story before, is that um, the newspaper in the town where I grew up was owned by the small family. And I was young, I mean, six or seven years old, but the publisher of that newspaper, Stephen Small, was um, lured out as if there was a problem at the newspaper and then kidnapped, held for ransom, and buried alive. Wow. And buried underground, and he died. I mean, they they got to him too late. Ever since then, I've had that fascination of things underground that you can't control and being trapped, which I know is a morbid direction to go. But that idea of being trapped yes. is fascinating to us. And and it's, I mean, going back to what happened in, in Pennsylvania, I think a lot of that fascination, if you want to talk about going dark, it, it whenever you talk about a, a fascination with something that is inescapable, whether it's, again, being underground, being underwater, uh, having somebody out there that, that you don't know where he is and you don't know where he's going to strike next, but there's no real way for you to predict that, and it's inescapable, what, what it all really comes back to is the fear of the one inescapable thing. We're all going to die. And and so when it's it's ultimately relatable because we can all understand that somewhere out there, there is a thing that's going to kill us. So when we're faced with that, and even at arm's length, it maybe even is, is more fascinating because we're watching it happen in somebody else's backyard. So it's safe, but it still kind of grabs us. As I go darker further for a moment (laughs) shall we right as if because why not at 10 o'clock in the morning it's also the idea behind that that we're all going to go somehow but it's that period of time between being caught in a situation and the end happening where there's a period of time there where you know you can't do anything about it the chilean miners were rescued the kids in the thai cave were rescued but it's that period of time between in fact there was just this guy um wasn't there a guy in turkey that was just rescued as well yes from a cave like three thousand feet down he the got guy sick. who got sick yes yeah but still there's that period of time between when you are trapped 
and the unknown of whether you're going to get out. And we all sit there also. We sit in that period of time. This is where I come back to the manhunt for this guy. You sit in this period of time between when the escape happened and when they caught him where you don't know how this is going to end and how long it's going to go on. You kind of figure with this one, if they didn't get him soon, he was going to be long gone by then. Either that or there was going to be more bodies involved in this. Yeah. That somebody was going to surprise him. That, that you know, And maybe it would be just as big a surprise to them that you know he would be out at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, rummaging through backyards to see what he could find. And somebody who worked overnights was going to come home and come face-to-face with him and end up dead. If you have thoughts here, 913-586-7798, feel free to get in. Still to come this hour, big announcement coming out of Overland Park. Not much detail. Should they be telling us more about this? Get to that coming up here on KMBZ. 913-586-7798 is the phone number here if you would like to get in. All right, so the announcement came last night um, with no fanfare whatsoever about the fact that the police chief, in fact, they even said former police chief in the announcement, uh, Frank Donchez resigned. It didn't say effective immediately, but he, but it said former Overland Park police chief has resigned. So one imagines um, effective immediately. And that was it. All they said was, we do not comment on personnel decisions. And that was that. Yeah. Uh, bringing a new definition to the word terse. <laughs> I mean, three yes. sentences. He resigned. Here's the interim chief. Uh, we'll tell you more later. Bye. National search coming. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really about it. Um, and and no word. I mean, you said no fanfare, and that's absolutely accurate. I would add to that, no warning. I mean, yeah. I, I, I had not heard from anybody, hey, you know, Frank Donchez is in trouble. Or, you know, he's thinking about resigning. Or maybe, I mean, who knows what. Whatever the reasoning is or was, um, there, there was no word, no whispers about anything. Pardon me, about anything coming? Nothing. It also came from the city, not from him. Yeah. I don't know how that normally goes, but I feel like we've had enough announcements that like sometimes that comes at a city council meeting. If it's a city official, you have a person that will announce quite frankly, usually this applies if it's not effective immediately. It's I have decided to leave my position. It's been a great time. I appreciate everybody. And then my last day is six weeks from now. Yeah, like right. Usually it's that kind of announcement. I love the city of Overland Park and its residents, right. and it's been a pleasure to serve you all. And it, yeah, no, no, so far, absolutely nothing. And and you're right. Interesting. I mean, it, it's not really that surprising that the city would issue a statement or that the PD would issue a statement, but it is a little surprising that it wasn't accompanied by anything from him. Um, and, and who knows? I mean, maybe we're a couple hours away from that happening, but maybe we're not. So Shiny Mission Post did a story because I thought, gosh, we have had nothing but amazing, um, not just with Frank Donchez, but with John Lacey of OPPD also. We've had nothing but a great relationship with them. I sort of forgot. It's amazing. Like just so many things happened. Shiny Mission Post went through and detailed, and I was finally able to open this, what they're describing as a rocky past few years. But there was no, and, and we can go through some of this, but to our knowledge, no inciting incident 
that like just happened. Yes, right. You look over the last six months in Overland Park. What have you seen that's been, ooh, wow, that's rough. <laughs> really, it's been awfully quiet. If anything, it's it's been more than quiet. And yet, the one thing I think that they referred to in this article, although, I mean, you've got to go back a, a fair few years to get to this, was the Albers shooting. And that uh, that predates me being here. I remember the story yeah. when it broke, but I wasn't here yet. Uh, yeah. That was 2018 when all of that happened. And it was still, I mean, I was in St. Louis. Not It's not like I was on Mars. Uh, but we heard about the story and heard, you know, what was going on and this is the the car that the young man was backing out of the uh, out of the driveway and the the police officer said they were trying to back over him shots were fired and then there was all kinds of consternation about what had gone down that night so they point out in addition to that that currently four officers are on paid leave from the department while johnson county da investigates alleged abuse of funds from the overland park police officers association I don't, um, somebody help me out. What role does the Overland Park police chief have by title in that association? This might just be a list of things that are going on. It doesn't necessarily mean that this has anything to do with him. It's just here's stuff that's going on. Exactly right. Whether it was reflective of him. Um, As a matter of fact, let's see. Yeah, we have, uh, this was just sent to me. This is on KMBZ.com, uh, as a matter of fact, right now. You can read this for yourself. Uh, and, and we tweeted this out last night. Uh, Dan Weinbaum just sent this to me. The uh, the email that came from Meg Ralph, the communications and media relations manager, that says, uh, good evening, former Overland Park Police Chief Frank Donchez resigned today. I cannot provide any other information beyond the statement below as the city does not comment on personnel information. And then, yeah, it went through those three sentences that we just talked about. So even that, even the email from the city that went out to the media says, well, we can't say anything. It's interesting also that in doing, you know, a scan of the websites and and stuff that's out there, there's, there's nothing out there about it in terms of, and we can speculate all day, but I'm shocked that and maybe this is still coming, but there's there's no rumor out there. Nothing specific about what prompted this. And you make a good point about with even with some of the the to use the Shawnee Mission Post uh, vernacular here, even with the rocky few years that they've seen, how much of that was reflected back on the chief rather than on, especially with the Albers shooting, on the officers involved. Now, the one thing that the chief would be in control of that they kind of you know do their best to draw or connect the dots on is the fact that those calls for transparency from the department were not uh, largely satisfactory to the public, to the press, and that is that is the purview of the chief. But I don't remember anybody necessarily calling for his resignation or for his firing over it, although there may have been. Me either, but I don't keep a close ear on city council meetings or public comment or comments on Facebook pages for the city either. But you're right. If there had been a call for his resignation publicly, we would have heard about that at some point. Yeah. Because they would have wanted to get our attention about it. Well, And, and then you, you have to parse, okay, a call from whom? If it's right. a call from some guy online, well, you know what? If you're a public figure of any stripe, yeah. <laughs> there are comments calling for your resignation or firing Us online. Included. Yeah, exactly. Usually. Um, yeah, it's it's just 
um, as I as I kind of joked last night, well, there's nothing suspicious about that at all. It's it's it just makes you wonder what is going on and what we're going to hear about. Yeah, that's and that really is the problem with coming out with a statement that's as terse as this one was, is that it calls for speculation. And I mean, we're not going to do. We could sit here and go through chapter and verse of all yeah. the things that it could be, uh, but we're not going to do that because it's pointless. And until unless and until anybody says anything to us about it in an, in an official capacity, it's just pointless to do that. But again, eight o'clock at night. It wasn't it yeah. evening, seven or eight o'clock at night. Like the timing of that, that is strange, also. Yeah, I believe that email came in to us at eight forty-three p.m. yesterday. I was up later than I thought. Yeah, um, it's just weird that it would come out late in the evening, close to nine or ten o'clock news, where they don't have time. I mean, a PR person who's doing their job, where there's an announcement that you don't want a lot of digging in. You're going to time that announcement so that news doesn't have a lot, particularly TV, doesn't have a lot of time to dig into it before their their newscast. That would be about right. 8.45 p.m. And then, be set, tough. and then set your phone to send everything to voicemail. Right. Yes. <laughs> it's after hours. Sorry. 913-586-7798. We'll get to a break here. Coming up, we have passengers of Delta Airlines uh, that were a little frustrated by what they were told about an incident. And then I got to laugh at what the CEO of United said yesterday about staffing. So we'll get to those stories coming up here on KMBZ. All right, we have a story about Delta Airlines. And then the CEO of United Airlines, Scott Kirby, said something yesterday where I think, what? No, 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 no. You you flipped that. That's It's the reverse of, of what you actually said. We'll get to that here in a second. Um, but there was a flight that um, was headed from Ghana to New York, uh, an island off New York on Friday that had a bunch of problems and the passengers on that flight now are complaining about what they were told. Yeah, you want to talk about the worst PR answer you could ever possibly give. And this goes back to the the uh, you know the back and forth. I'm wondering how long it's going to take, by the way, before Delta blames AI for this. You wait, you wait. They're going to blame a bot. So you have this plane takes off from Ghana. They have mechanical problems. Their backup oxygen system went down. And you can't fly without that because then if the main one goes down, everybody dies. So they said, okay, we're going to land as soon as we possibly can. So they landed on this little island out in the middle of nowhere. And they said it's going to take some time because they're now remote. I mean, they're they're out in the middle of nowhere. So Azores is what it is, by the way. I had to yeah. look and see a little bit. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So they're in this island chain off of Africa. And uh, and they said it's going to be a while because we're out here in the middle of nowhere. We've got to get parts in. So, you know, you're going to have to make other arrangements. So people start doing what you do. They start tweeting at Delta. Hey, we're stuck on this island. What are you going to do? How are you going to get us to where we need to go? We need to get to New York. One of them said, hi, my name is Britannia with Delta. One of the responses. I apologize for the long wait time to get through to us and appreciate your patience. Please DM me for further assistance. You know how this goes. Uh Then you get into the DMs. And at some point, a female representative, according to Keandra Eggleston-Smith, who was one of the passengers on the flight, um, (laughs) tweeted, a female rep told us we should be grateful that they allowed us to be here on this little island and that our plane didn't crash into the sea. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're stuck that? here. We need to get to New York. Oh, yeah? Well, you should just be happy you didn't crash. Wow. 
Wow. Um, they spent much of their time on the island without food, water, or updates from staff. Again, this is according to them. Um, and uh, so, yeah. So, again, if you, I believe they're owned, owned by Portugal, the Azores, or it's, it's connected to Portugal. But you're talking like 500 miles off the coast of between Portugal and like Morocco yeah. out there. Um, you're not in the middle of nowhere. It, the Azores, there are direct flights from Newark to the Azores. I mean, nonstop without going, because I've looked at them, without going to Portugal. So this is not, in fact, it's one of the bigger islands where they landed. The problem that they said was um, most of them did not have the visas needed to be in the Azores. <laughs> so they couldn't leave the airport. In fact, they were they were kind of put in this back section, this partitioned area of the airport because they couldn't go anywhere else. Which happens. I mean, that, that happens here. Yeah. If, if you know, some plane is diverted or something like that thing, you, yeah, you have to stay on the gate side because once you get into the airport proper, you are now on U.S. soil. If you haven't gone through that customs area yet and haven't cleared that, you're not, even though you're in the Azores, you're not technically there. Um, right. You, you're still in that sort of no man's land. So they, by law, they had to keep them there. But just that response of be glad your plane didn't crash, that's got to go in some kind of hall of fame of bad PR responses. Which, by the way, Delta is not addressing or apologizing for. No. Um, they initially said, so passengers spent about half a day there. Then they were able to get them on a plane to New York. Passengers said they weren't issued refunds, that that not, that not, they weren't accommodated for. Delta said, yes, we eventually did issue refunds. But Delta's not saying anything about what their flight attendant said in response to what happened. Yeah. I just somebody on the text line said that, you know, that's like the proverbial yelling fire in a crowded theater. And then the theater owner saying, yeah, you should just be glad there wasn't really a fire. Yeah. <laughs> like, Whoa. They uh, were told by staff, don't start a revolution. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sweethearts. Wow. They, somebody needs to do a little retraining, I think, when it comes to dealing with the public. And look, yeah. we've all dealt with the public. We know they can be a pain in the butt, but sometimes you just have to swallow it and say, we're doing our best. Have a seat. We'll try to keep you as comfortable as possible until we can get a new plane. Passengers were befuddled by the response from airport representatives <laughs> and for hours didn't get anything from Delta. Wow. Okay. It's a bummer they couldn't get out of the airport. Because you're in kind of a cool island. I mean, there, there's yeah. stuff to see around the Azores, but being stuck in the airport is not the fun part. Is is there any worse response you could come up with in that? I mean, is you, maybe, okay, well, take a run at the gate and the guards will shoot you. How about that? Is, would that be <laughs> right. okay for you? Right. How dare you, you know, complain about this? Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Do, do, do better, so you, Airlines. So United jumped into the mix, too, you say? So I wish I knew exactly where this was said, um, but if you're following anything about the airline industry for the last since the pandemic and even before that staffing is the problem i mean you we have troubles with air traffic control and there's an increase in demand because there was pent-up demand from the pandemic but the big issue with that is staffing there's not enough we don't have enough pilots we don't have enough flight attendants baggage handlers because in the pandemic a lot of those people went and got other jobs i don't know where the ceo of united airlines gets his information but he said United and the airline industry is 10% overstaffed. Not understaffed, overstaffed. Yeah. Uh, huh? uh, yeah, he, and he didn't, he didn't 
make clear exactly where he thought the overstaffing issues existed because clearly they don't exist with pilots they don't exist with flight attendants they don't exist with anybody who was is forward facing to the public so we could assume that what he was talking about was office staff but he didn't even clear that up no. I mean, if you're 10% overstaffed with office staff, well, that's your fault. Um, and, I mean, this seems like what this really is, is a way to uh, to announce layoffs without damaging your stock price. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine any airline in, in the foreseeable future announcing layoffs? Because the public's not going to hear office staff. Right. The public is never going to pay attention to that part. We hear layoffs and we think, oh, man, particularly with United, we've already had delays and cancellations. What do you mean you're getting rid of people? Yeah. Like, you need more people. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time you were at the gate? And that's the other thing, you know, gate staff. Uh, yeah. When was the last time you were at the gate and said, you know, there's just too many employees here? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm getting the service is too good. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm getting too much customer service here. They should really they should really back this off. Last summer, he said United was overstaffed with pilots by 10% relative to the hours they were flying. And yet, this is view from the wing, United had just acquired a flight school to address the pilot shortage. Um, I don't see in the story where he said this, but it was picked up in multiple, it must have, I don't know if it was on like an investor call or something like that. We wouldn't be at the quarterly, quarterly call. Um, by the way, I mean, view from the wing then went through the stats uh-huh. about, you know, how, how absolutely understaffed they are, but you're right. It, it sounds like something he would say publicly so that investors calm down. Sure. Yeah. It, because if all you do, if the first announcement on something like that is, uh, you know, United airlines just announced 10,000 layoffs nationwide or worldwide. They have not, by the way, I'm just using that as an example. But if that's the first thing anybody hears about it, the investors freak out. What's going on? What's happening? But if you say, yeah, I think we're 10% overstaffed, and then an announcement comes out you know, a month later, well, we're dealing with the overstaffing problem. You have an automatic built-in explanation for it. Even if you're talking about office staff, I feel like you need an explanation for that. Mm-hmm. Is it because AI, because the public's going to think, because the general public doesn't, and why would they, but doesn't understand um, what is automated and what requires people at the very least say something like AI processes are in place now to handle the reservation system, to handle anything that doesn't deal with you as a customer. Well, sure. That doesn't affect you and your flying experience. Yeah. And going back to the last story, I mean, we've also talked about how many times when you're even when you DM somebody and you're chatting with somebody at an airline about a problem you're having in the moment, you're not mm-hmm. really chatting with somebody. You're chatting with a bot. Right. Right. Until you get frustrated and frustrated and then try to get to an actual person, which some of us get to pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So just tone deaf is is the term that comes to mind with him. All right. Uh, we'll take a break here. Coming up to wrap the hour. This one um, hit a nerve with me because of the number of people in Gen Z that say we don't need to learn how to spell. Get to that coming up here on KMBZ. All right. This next poll done by one poll is painful to talk about, um, particularly because I don't think it's just the teacher in me. I think it is the person who appreciates language and writing and the ability to execute those things. My new pet peeve is when people switch the words amount and number, and then you said fewer, 
versus less, less and fewer, less. which goes right along with amount and number. Same idea. Yeah. Yes. Um, so there is a new poll out that basically shows Gen Z doesn't really care about grammar or punctuation or the proper use of capital letters because they think it doesn't really matter anymore. And spelling and all of the rest of it. Yeah, it's all in the same boat. And the funny thing is when, when you point it out, they get offended as though you're the problem. You <laughs> know, it's, it's like, oh, so uh, apparently you didn't pass basic English. And then it's, oh, so I'm stupid because I can't spell. No, you're a genius because you can't spell. Schools are still teaching it. I'm certain that in yeah. English classes, the use of punctuation and proper grammar is still being taught. Gen Z just doesn't care and doesn't think they need to know it. <sighs> and it, it, what they're blaming it on, well, they're not really blaming it on, but what they're saying is kind of at the root of all of this is that it, it, the, it's a world of texting. And when the when the text messages come in, you don't do that. You don't parse it for you know spelling and language and grammar and all of that, or punctuation because I mean even the rules of punctuation on a text are different than they are if you're writing a letter. But the thing is, you have to be able to write a letter. You're you're gonna have to get hired sooner or later. Like a cover letter. Yeah. When you apply for jobs, or your resume, or you never know what job you're gonna have where you have to write emails to bosses or other people that you work with that are going to have to have proper grammar. Like it or not, I think when a person doesn't show or speak with proper grammar, we assume they're stupid. Yes. It's just a stereotype that we have. It's not necessarily true, but we assume if you don't speak with proper grammar or write, you are dumb. And that's not necessarily true for Gen Z. They're just lazy. They just don't, <laughs> they just don't want to. Not all of them, but yeah. the ones that responded to this story uh, the study are sure um, and it's and it's more than half i mean in some cases some of the things they said 80 percent of them just don't care about certain things they said more than half of people uh over the age of 65 say they're always sticklers for proper grammar while texting and posting online where with gen z it is far fewer than that um and, and you're i mean you're accurate in that they said most people say it simply takes too long Mm-hmm. It does? No. I, I, I'm does? fine with it. It's it's all good. And I'm not 65 or really anywhere near it yet. And the thing about it is that it takes practice. That's a muscle. You know, I mean, your brain is a muscle in terms of remembering things. And so it you will you are more likely to remember proper grammar and punctuation when you need it if you are practicing it even when you don't. So why not? Um, man, there was, where's the stat in here about there, 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 um, half of Gen Z and millennials bothered to differentiate between there, there, and there. Yes. T-H-E-R-E, T-H-E-I-R, -E, and T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E. And they have three different meanings, which means that, and that's my real problem with it, is that when you screw that up, your message is now unclear. What you're trying to get across doesn't, it's meaningless. It's gobbledygook. It doesn't mean anything because you can't figure out which words to use. Uh, the study also found younger generations are much more enthusiastic about abbreviations. Two thirds of those under age 35 regularly use abbreviations compared to very little over the age of 65. And I will admit to doing a little bit of this, like I did it this morning. I, do, I did it on our, our sheet this morning, LOL. Sure. I, I admit I do it a little bit in very, very casual 
not even conversation, but it just in, in very, very casual ways. But that's it. Yeah, that's it, it, outside of a text message. I'm never going to use that. Even in an email, I'm rarely, oh, yeah. rarely, if ever going to use that unless it's an email to somebody who is just so close that they would know better. And it's an email not about anything in particular, not, you know, not about anything important. If it's about something important, I'm not throwing in I-M-H-O for in my humble opinion. I'm like, you know, no, of course I not. Think I'll, about what that meant, I'll, which tells you something. <laughs> yeah, I'll go ahead and write those out. If you, um, We have a couple of minutes. If you are Gen Z and you take issue with this, 913-586-7798. Or if you think this is okay. I mean, maybe we're way off base. Maybe as long as they know how to do it in situations where they need to, maybe it's okay that in the situations where they don't, they shorthand it, for I, lack of a better term. But see, I question the second half of that. It, you know, as long as they know how to if they need to. I'm not sure that's the case. Somebody pointed out reading the uh, reading the comments section on uh, YouTube or reading the comment section on anything. Read the comment section at the end of a political article sometime. Mm -hmm. Not only will you see the worst possible vitriol you've ever seen in your life, you'll also see people who cannot spell. And it's impossible for me to believe that if called upon to do so, they would be able to do it correctly. They just can't. Yeah, I am. I am. I am just baffled by because it makes me think if they don't want to, it's because they don't know how. And that scares me. It, again, it's, it's, maybe I'm blowing it out of proportion, but I feel like the ability to write is like one of the most important skills we have. It, to me, it goes to your ability to critically think and, and express yourself mm -hmm. and generally communicate in society. And that, if, if we don't care about that, I have, I have fears and concerns. I read a lot. I need I need to read more. I've actually fallen away from Me it too. quite a bit over the last couple of years just because other things have taken precedence. But I read. I love to read. We're going to talk a little bit about Stephen King later. He was the one that got me into falling in love with the written word. Mm -hmm. And uh, him and, and Robert Louis Stevenson, who I'm also a huge fan of. But, uh, you know, that it, imagine trying to read a book and how frustrating it would be to try to read a novel that was written with the same care or lack thereof for grammar, punctuation, and spelling that the comments section on YouTube is. It would be impossible. It would make me hate it. I would throw the book away. Yes, we don't have enough time to get into this, but I think it also goes to comprehending what you're reading. The ability to think and write also goes to your ability to understand what you are reading mm -hmm. and put those things together. That's why, that's why my degree for secondary ed is English language arts. You don't just learn. There's not just a writing part. There's you have to teach reading comprehension. All that goes together with the grammar. Yes, I, I know the arguments being made. I use spell check <laughs> if you're a horrible speller. <laughs> I know I was waiting for that. It's Could, the calculator argument. Couldn't you just work on your spelling? I, right. I mean, I understand spell check can save you and nobody's perfect. I mean, I, I, I try to pay close attention to my spelling and my grammar and, and, the, and all of the rest of it, but I'll screw it up from time to time. And it's good to have that fallback, but it's better to master it and then have that fallback only used for emergencies. Yes. Yeah, please learn it. All right, we'll take a break here. Coming up, we have a 64-year-old man who felt the need to use an AK-47 for threat. Oh, why? We'll get to that coming up here on KMBZ.